0: We all know that hindsight is twenty-twenty, as the saying says, and so it's easy for us sometimes to, to look upon the Scriptures or to look upon the, the readings that are, that are prayed at Holy Mass or in our private time of devotion and, and see them through our own lens and through the lens of you know, teachers and, and the doctors of the church and the great saints and Scripture scholars throughout the last 2,000 years who have helped us to, to unpack them, and also just simply knowing the story. Knowing that we are here today, and knowing even a, a small, a small snippet of the of overview of what our faith has been for some two thousand plus years, it's easy for us to kind of approach it from merely our own perspective. But it's it is important for us to understand also what the disciples themselves would have been experiencing, because this, this truly helps us to to enter into the mystery and of the sacred scriptures and, and know why and how things happened as they did. And so, recall that the apostles had gathered together, and our Lord had, of course, He'd been crucified, raised on the third day, and He'd appeared to them several times. He gave them the power to forgive sins, gave them the, you know, breathing upon them the Holy Spirit on that first… the first, the 1st day of His resurrection, Easter Sunday. And so, you know, these powers are being given to the apostles. They're still kind of gathered around Him to some degree. Uh, And so… but the apostles are still anticipating that the Lord is going to do some earthly mission. Still, they anticipate, you know, Lord, at this time, are you going to… you going to establish the kingdom? It would be understandable for them. They said, okay, well, you know, even inserting the fact of the resurrection, you know, our, our Lord was crucified and He died. Well, He raised up. Well, that means He's back. He's, he's going to stay with us now, and he's, he, he won't go anywhere, And so now is the perfect time in the mind of the apostles to go ahead and establish the kingdom. And so, you know, perhaps Peter's thinking, maybe I'll get a little slice of land over here that Jesus will put me in charge of, and maybe John will be over here, and, you know, James will be in this one, and Philip in that one. And, you know, so, you know, considering the ways in which they might be uh, called to minister in the kingdom. And so it's with that in mind that they're, you know, kind of already having been utterly blown away that that their teacher came and gave them his body, his blood, died on a cross, and then showed up three days later, fine and good. So many things that they had been trying and struggling to understand had been happening in rapid succession. And so just when it seems that things perhaps are calming down a little bit, the man sends them out and he says, go forth and baptize all nations, teaching them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to observe all I have given you. And then he shoots off into heaven I mean, it would make sense if he had just walked away. At least the disciples probably could have understood some of that. You know, he he says, you know, I'm going off. I'm going to go on pilgrimage. You know, I'm entrusting things to you. Good luck and farewell. I'll see you later. That would have made sense, I think, to the apostles. Instead, he just literally, by his own power, ascends into the clouds. You can rightly understand why, then, that they're just standing there looking up at the sky, and the angels have to come to them and say, stop looking at the sky, you've got things to do. Because, honestly, if that had happened to me, I'd probably still be standing there, at least my bones would be on the ground where I had died, just looking up because none of this makes sense. To a normal mind, to the normal expectation of of our daily experience, if we had never heard these stories before and we had witnessed them for the first time, and again, keep in mind that, and that the vast majority of these things that are complex mysteries of our faith all happened within a two-month period. Two months, and everything changed. And so these men, been, of course, rather than having our Lord to be their, their direct command, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus as King, being able to say, here are the things for you to do, here are your commands, He simply says, go tell all nations everything I have told you. And He departs. There was no rule book for them. They didn't have a catechism to lean on. They didn't even have a New Testament. They themselves had to compile it eventually. They didn't have anything except the words of the Lord and the union with him that was promised. The Holy Spirit was given to them to be able to help lead them into all truth. But this was still a lengthy process that continues to happen in the church. There was much that was uncertain about them in those days. And the fact is, they were still called to go out. They still had to go and make disciples of the nations. And this is the fact of things as they went. In some ways, they did well. In some ways, not so much. It's instructive to be able to read through some of the, the different parts of the, of the Acts of the Apostles and to be able to listen to some of the words because they, they'll tell the stories of how Paul went to Athens and he totally failed in his preaching got almost no converts, two people and a couple of others extra beside him, totally tanked, worst homily ever. Then it shows how he did well at the next place, and many were converted to Christ. You get to see these ways in which the apostles are, are trying to do things, where Peter goes out, and you know, Peter was kind of two-faced at one point. He was saying, you know, when, whenever he's around the, uh, when he's around the Gentiles, he's saying one thing. When he's around the Jews, he's saying the opposite, And Paul has to go and correct him. Things were not always clear-cut in the early church, and they were trying to make sense of these things. And they went forward seeking to do the best that they could, seeking the mercy of the Lord for their shortcomings. And this is our task as well, to do with what the Lord has given to us and to seek his mercy where we fall short. But it's for us to ensure that we are doing the things that the Lord has called us to do. There are many things that prevent us from seeking after the Lord's will and doing it in our daily life. Sometimes it's the fear of the unknown. Certainly, it's a, an occasion that whenever the Lord we feel the Lord may be calling us to some particular thing, a reluctance to enter into it because you don't know what it's going to cost up, hand, up front. You know there's a cost, but you kind of just sign a blank check when you say yes to the good Lord sometimes, and you hope that things work out well. So, it can be fear of the unknown that is present there, It can be fear of failure. It can be fear of having to do things that are uncomfortable for us, like a man who is uh, highly introverted, being called to be a priest and have to preach every single day and from a pulpit in front of people that have to listen to him, as is my scenario. There are these fearful things that come to us and that make us want to say, thanks but no thanks, Jesus. I've got something else in mind. It's these fears that may arise within our hearts. Or sometimes it's not fear, but just uncertainty of exactly how to proceed. In the administrative world today, there's often uh, a phrase used as regards uh, looking at how to do things in one's business, paralysis by analysis. One continues to look at, uh, you know, what should we do next? And we take, a, we take a, you know, we take a survey, we take a poll, we look at things, we draw up some sketches, then you take another survey, another poll. Sounds like a Mississippi Bridge-type project, Right? So it's, you know, one of those things where, you know, something happens and, you know, 40 years down the line, a decision might be made, you know, God be praised. It's too late, right? And we can do this in in a whole variety of ways, even in our own spiritual life. We're waiting for for the right ministry. We're waiting for the for the right setting, the right time to start something. There's a new a new thing the Lord may be calling us to, but you know we've got these other things going on, or we need more resources, or you know just you know maybe maybe a couple years when things are a little different for me personally, these kinds of thoughts will come to mind, and we may delay that which the Lord may be calling us to. Very often too, though, a temptation, especially in our world today is to be so caught up in hearing about the things that need to be done that we don't actually do anything about them. I found myself uh, the other day listening to a a podcast. It was a relatively short one. It was only only nine minutes long, a podcast. But it was on a topic of the archbishop in Mexico made a public letter about some liturgical things and religious life in his diocese. This is in Mexico, where I've never been, to a bishop I've never met, and under whose authority I have not been placed. And yet, I felt it necessary to sit down and listen to a nine-minute discussion on a policy, that, uh, a letter that he released to his people. And then at the end of the episode, the, uh, the, the, the commentator, the presenter, whatever, um, says, I'd love to hear your feedback on this. Go ahead and log into the website and, 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 and log into the combo, you know, the, the com box, right? I'm interested, right? I would love to be able to go in and see what the comments look like. In fact, I think I have some comments of my own of what the archbishop in Mexico is saying about things as if it matters at all. And this is the reality is we can do this in a whole variety of ways. We can, we can look and say, well, you know, we've got these, these problems in the church. You know, we've got liturgical problems. We've got ecclesiastical problems. We've got Germany. We've got this synod. You know, we've got the, the vocation shortage locally. You know, we've got these, these different things going on. We've got problems in the world, problems in our community, problems in our family, problems in our school system, problems in our politics lots of problems with our politics, right? All these things going on, and, and we can be so filled with listening to the storylines that we never respond. It's the fact that the nine minutes I spent listening to something that really had no, no meaning whatsoever for my life or ministry could have been spent praying, could have been reflecting on some Scripture, Could have been calling a friend or a parishioner to check on see how somebody might be doing. It could have been considering, you know, what's next in in one of the projects we have going on in the parish. Could be any number of things. But it was time spent considering things of the world, considering the problems of the world, considering what things ought to be like, but not actually doing anything with them in the moment. And so this is the challenge to us is we have so many talking heads, whether on TV or on our phones or just audibly or in text. There's so many things that are coming to us to saying, here's all the things that are wrong with the world, and here's all the things that we ought to do to fix it. Or at least very often, it's somebody ought to do these things to fix them. And usually it's not us, in fact. At least the thought is. And so we can find so many ways to answer all of the problems, but not actually do anything ourselves. To do things that might move the world forward, that might increase the glory of God and the spreading of the gospel, is for us to ensure that this does not happen to us, but rather to hear the word of the Lord and to be doers of it and not hearers only as the scriptures would encourage us. It's to be busy about the work and not simply be as the apostles kind of staring up into the sky just kind of waiting for, our next, uh, waiting for the next thing to happen or waiting because, you know, that's someone else's job is next. I'll just sit and wait for it to happen. That's someone else's task. That's not mine. When in fact, there are very many things that are our tasks. We don't always think about them as being uh, world-changing things or things that will, you know, change the life of the course of the church, but they may well be. We never know how simply taking care of our home will change things, how caring for our children, loving our spouse, doing our job well at work, studying well in our understanding of whatever it is that the Lord has given to us to be able to convey knowledge. The various ways in which we find ourselves plugged in in the world, how do we do them well and by God's grace? This is the encouragement that we ought to consider for ourselves is the ways in which the Lord is calling us to go and make disciples, sometimes in rather hidden and veiled ways. To that end, I will give my continuous exhortation not to be consumed with listening to the problems of the world, listening to the answers of the world, or looking in the comment boxes to be able to see what others' opinions are, but rather for us each to be able to seek growth in holiness, growth in faith, growth in love of God, and in the living of the love of God by service to our neighbors. I was a bit edified this week and encouraged, but also a bit sad, because I was reading a little book of, called The Maxims of St. Philip Neary. St. Philip Neary, a great, a great saint of the church, a um, rather humorous fellow uh, from some 500 years ago. And I was edified by a a particular word of his, uh, an encouragement that he gave. And he said something that should, I hope, sound vaguely familiar to you. He said, I would encourage everyone, the laity should especially read books by authors whose name begins with S, such as St. Augustine or St. Thomas. I was edified because this is a saintly thing. I was also kind of sad because that's the thing that I usually tell y'all is read, you know, usually I say it as read authors whose name begins with S-T period, but it's essentially the same thing. But this is the fact of things. is that the saints of the church, they continue to tell us the exact same, not to be consumed with simply looking to the world as it is and all the problems that might be, because the simple fact is that there is one thing that always changes the world, and it is holiness. There's one thing that always is the proper answer for us individually and collectively, and it is seeking the will of God and doing it to the best of our abilities. And so this is our encouragement, is to continue to immerse ourselves in the lives of the saints, the teachings of the saints, these ones who have gone before us and have done well seeking to put the Lord's will into action in their life, and to imitate them, to ask for their prayers, to be able to to live like them in whatever way the Lord is calling us to today. And so as we offer this Holy Mass is to give thanks to the Lord for the gift of the Holy Spirit that has been poured out upon the church already, and that we anticipate receiving in another outpouring next Sunday at Pentecost, but to pray that the Lord will help us to know what is His will and to have the courage to go and to do it.